Well, it's great to have everybody here. It's fun to see new friends coming back every week. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. Today we're looking at secret number five as we work our way through the eight Beatitudes of Jesus. Today we're going to talk about blessed are the merciful and turn to that here in just a moment. Now, if you've missed any of the messages in this series, I want to encourage you to go to our website. You can download our messages at any time or go to our website. you can get the podcast as well. And I think it's just so important to make sure we stay together in unity, a lockstep as we walk through these various teaching series uh, throughout the course of a year. And this one on the Beatitudes, to me personally, is so vitally, vitally important. I believe the Beatitudes are the quintessential uh, teachings of Jesus, uh, and they're, they're sequential and, and so, so very, very important. So I encourage you to check that out. Now, I've asked you each week to kind of fill in the, uh, fill in the blank. Happiness is dot, dot, dot. How would you finish that sentence? Happiness is dot, dot, dot. Well, if you're a two and a half year old, happiness is a mud puddle. How many you know what I mean? I went up to the uh, uh, playground the other day and took uh, Prince uh, uh, Rowan of Otterberg with me as well as Rex the Great. And we had an agreement that this day, on this particular day, we would not jump into the mud puddles. We didn't have our boots. We only had tennis shoes. And we had what I thought was a very, very good, wholesome agreement, <laughs> as you can see in this next picture. <laughs> I felt we were of one accord. I felt there is a symbiotic mutuality happening where we understood, hey, we'll go back home, get the red boots, put them on, then go into the mud puddles. And what these two lads told me is we took a vote, and it was two to one, you lost, Papa. You, two to one, you lost by a landslide. And so we had fun, uh, mud puddles and all. But I tell you, that's a happy place. When you're two and a half, and both of those young fellows are two and a half years of age, uh, they had a ball right there uh, <laughs> in the mud puddle. Well, I came across some interesting, interesting stats here this uh, uh, past week. In a study entitled 32 Happiness Statistics, Data, Trends, and Facts. And in the personal happiness stats category, uh, there were three statistics that I wanted to share with you. The first one, a Gallup poll showed that six to seven hours of socializing daily results in the highest level of happiness. That's very, very interesting. Six to seven hours of socializing. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what that all includes. They didn't say. It must mean you're at work, you know, doing work with other people. I mean, if you're just sitting around talking for six or seven hours a day, uh, that's a lot of time spent just kind of uh, yapping your gums. So there's got to be more to it, but that's what it said. Uh, the, the second statistic, regular contact with 10 friends is the bare minimum for friends to impact your happiness in a good way. So 10 friends. I thought that was interesting. And then the last one had to do with these three numbers. And I would just ask you this. What do these three numbers have in common? These are the ages when you are the happiest. Now you know it's settled. That's all you need to know. Well, why is that? Well, 33 is when you have energy and knowledge to pursue your passion. 55 is the right age because you've gained enough assets and authority and 70 in your 70s because you're free of any stress-causing responsibilities and you can look back on your accomplishments. Well, I beg to differ. I know a lot of 33-year-olds that don't think they have enough energy to keep up with their kids and run around all the responsibilities they have. I know a lot of 55-year-olds that say, I need more assets. And I know a lot of 70-year-olds that say, I got way too many responsibilities still. So I don't know if I buy that, but anyway, uh, I I thought it was interesting reading. 
Helen Keller said something that I do agree with. She said, resolve to keep happy and your joy and you shall form an invincible host against difficulties. Every time she says something, I kind of perk my ears up, take a close look uh, for obvious reasons. Very, very interesting. Well, we're looking over the course of uh, these 60 days at Jesus' manifesto on happiness. Jesus' teaching, as we've mentioned each week, was quintessential. The Beatitudes were the essence of the essence. Jesus' teaching on the Mount, uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, 7 of Matthew, were the, the greatest teachings of Jesus right there in that section. And the most fundamental of the Sermon on the Mount, the most fundamental teaching, the quintessential teaching, are the Beatitudes, the first few verses of chapter 5. They were also sequential. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And it keeps building one on another. But these Beatitudes were also radical. It turned the known world at the time that Jesus taught upside down. It was foreign material. It was new thinking. And you want to know something? I think it's foreign material today. I think Jesus kind of migrates in the opposite direction. He swims against the current. And I just want to ask you to think again about the Beatitudes and what you think about happiness. Adam Grant wrote a book entitled Think Again, and he has a lot in that book that is very thought-provoking. One of the things he said is most of us take pride in our knowledge and expertise. We need to spend as much time rethinking as we do thinking, he says. We favor, he goes on, feeling right over being right. And he uses an interesting illustration that many of you have heard before about the old BlackBerry uh, hand device. And, uh, you know, the, the inventor of the BlackBerry was just so, so smart. Uh, but yet he, uh, you know, was so, so wrong in the end because people came up to him after a while and said, hey, you need to put a browser on that thing like we have on the iPhone. And he said, no, no, people don't want that. All, all you want to do is be able to get emails. Well, how many know that didn't quite work out too well as you look back on it? So, so smart, and yet so, so wrong. They, they should have thought that through. They should have rethought it. Uh, you know, rethinking and thinking are really, really import, important. So how can you be so smart and so wrong at the same time? Grant goes on to say, confirmation bias. Seeing what we expect to see is a big, big reason. Secondly, he says, desirability bias. Seeing what we want to see. And then I'll share one that I think is very dangerous for us as Christ followers, and that's what I would call justification bias. That's when we look at anything we want to look at and create our own reality for truth. In other words, instead of going to God's word and saying, okay, this is the truth, how can I live it out? We take a little scripture here, a little bit of this over there, someone's opinion over here, something we read here. We kind of put a little bit of everything together, and then we kind of make a case for whatever we want to make a case for. I think we can do that with happiness. I think we can do that with what it means to live a happy life and what it means to honor God and put Christ first in every area of our life. We can kind of make up our own stories to kind of fit our life instead of making our life fit God's word. Does that make sense? We need to think again. True happiness, Jesus says, is to have an internal joy anchored in an eternal God. And he says there are eight secrets to a happy life. The first 
He said, you need to accurately assess yourself. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You need to admit your mistakes. Blessed are those who mourn. You need to respect other people. Blessed are the meek. You need to do the right thing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And you need, the one we're going to look at today, forgive freely. Blessed are the merciful. One of the major, major slices of the mercy pie is forgiveness. Now, there are other slices in the mercy pie, and we'll allude to maybe one or two, uh, you know, as we move through this. But the big one, and the one I want us to really look at here today, is forgiveness. And I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, be, you know, even though I don't know the names exactly, I know there are many people listening to this message here today that are in some relational turmoil, that have uh, relationships that have gone awry. There's conflict. There's a unresolved conflict. There's, there's areas that need to be forgiven and worked through and thought through. Either husbands and wives or family or extended family or work relationships or school uh, relationships, friendships. We could go on and on. I just know because life is messy and relationships can be messy and we have come through uh, one of the most, uh, we haven't come through it. We're in one of the most difficult seasons that many of us can remember uh, in our history. There's so much anger, so much anxiety, so much angst. And so I think what Jesus has to share with us on forgiveness is absolutely time. Uh, it's so time, uh, the timing is so great is what I'm trying to say there. Well, Jesus shared a parable in Matthew 18 verses 21 to 35 entitled, The Parable of the Unmerciful Servant, or the parable of the unforgiving servant. Jesus links mercy and forgiveness together right here in this parable. And many of you will remember, the story goes like this. There's a king who's uh, trying to settle some accounts that he has with some uh, outlying uh, debt. And so he brings this dude in and says, hey, you owe me a bunch of money. And uh, the guy says, uh, well, I can't pay you. I mean, the guy owed him millions and millions of dollars. Now, this comes on the heel of... Peter asking the question, Jesus, how many times do we have to forgive someone? Seven times? I mean, Peter is thinking, this is generous. They offend me once, I forgive them. Twice, I forgive them. Three times, I forgive them. Four times, I forgive them. Five times, I forgive them. Six times, I forgive them. Seven times, I forgive them. That's a lot of offenses that I've forgiven. That is really big of me to do that, Jesus. Don't you agree? Jesus said, no, not even kind of. Seventy times seven. 77? 70 times 70 times 7? So not even 70? What are you saying, Jesus? Jesus is basically saying, there's no limit. There's no end. You always forgive. That's a lot of offenses, Jesus. Jesus says, I'm not excusing the offenses, but I'm saying you just need to be merciful. You need to be forgiving. If you want to live a happy life, one of the secrets is to be merciful. Be merciful like I am merciful. And so he continues telling this story about the guy that uh, owed 10,000 bags of gold, as it says here in the NIV. Scholars will say that's millions and millions of dollars. And the guy says, hey, I can't pay it, I can't pay it, I can't pay it. And uh, the king's servants were, were holding the guy a cost to get ready to throw him in debtor's prison until he paid it off. And, and finally the king, the master said, I forgive you. Go, you're free. And the guy was just overwhelmed, liberated. You talk about mercy, you talk about forgiveness. Wow, that's awesome. And what does he do? Goes out and becomes the kindest person who ever walked the face of the earth. Is that what happened? 
No, he found some guy that owed him 100 denarii, which is basically a few bucks, literally. He owed millions and millions, and now he goes and finds a guy that, that owns a few bucks, and he strangles the guy. That's what the story says. He strangles the guy and says, pay me, pay me. The guy says, I can't, I can't, I can't. And he throws him into debtor's prison to rot away there. And the servants of the master, the first master, the king, hear about it, see it, witness it, and they go and tell the king. The king says, bring that dude back to me. And so they bring him back. He says, wait a second. I forgave you millions and millions of dollars, and you went and tried to get a few, a few bucks from this other guy? What is wrong with you? You are now no longer forgiven. You're going to prison. I'm putting you in bondage. And Jesus concludes this passage by saying, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Forgive. 70 times 7. Be merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who forgive. I want to share some key forgiveness principles. And like I said, I know that all of us have gone through seasons, and many today are in seasons, in times where there are conflicted, conflicted relationships. And I want to share as specifically and practically as I can some principles that will help you, because I know many want to live the Christ life. They want to live and love just like Jesus. How do we do that when the hurt is so deep and the pain is so real? Let me share these principles. Number one, forgiving others is essential if we need to live a happy life. That's the foundation. That's what the beatitude says. Blessed are the merciful, for you will be shown mercy. Jesus links these two together. I already said forgiveness is a big, big slice in the mercy pie. And when Jesus talks about mercy, forgiveness is a, a big idea. Forgiving others of their debt against us is a major example of, of, of mercy. And a lack of mercy and forgiveness keeps a person caged in a dungeon. Think of the parable that Jesus told. Jesus told parables. He painted pictures. He used word stories to help people have a window into the kingdom. And he says, if you don't forgive, you're going to be thrown into a dungeon like this dude that didn't forgive and was thrown into a dungeon. It's going to be an emotional dungeon, not a physical dungeon. You're going to be captured. Uh, your life is going to be messed up, jacked up, ruined in certain ways. If you don't forgive, it's going to work against you, not for you. That's what Jesus is saying. This unforgiving servant would not forgive the other fellow, and this unforgiving servant was tortured and thrown into a dungeon for being unforgiving. That's the bottom line. That's the message of the parable. So for you and me, unforgiveness is going to throw us into some sort of a dungeon. Here's what James 2.13 says, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's the Bible. So we are merciful if we forgive. We are unmerciful if we do not forgive. Jesus said, blessed are you who are merciful. Unforgiveness leads to an unhappy life. The second main principle here is we are to forgive in direct proportion to how God forgives us. Jesus forgives us even though our sins sent him to the cross. Just think about that for a few moments. My sin, your sin, make it personal, sent Jesus to the cross. My sin. If nobody else lived, existed, it would just be my sin. My sin sent Jesus to the cross. Look at a couple of these verses. Ephesians 2. 
But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead, dead in our transgressions. Even more clear, Romans chapter 5. But God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, I think many of us do not have a clear understanding of how egregious sin is to the heart of God. Your sin and my sin is egregious. It is major, major offense to the heart of God. So much so that Jesus had to literally go and pay for our sins. 10,000 talents is what the one guy owed. 100 denarii is what the other guy owed. One was millions of dollars. One was a few cents on the dollar. God has forgiven you and me much more than millions and millions of dollars. And when we hold offense against someone who has hurt us, we are like the unforgiving servant who are not willing to forgive a few bucks. That's what this parable says to me. That's the challenge for me. And I invite you into my challenge. My sins, our sins, are offensive to the heart of God. And Jesus is saying, you have been forgiven much, Rob, therefore you need to forgive much. As you have been forgiven, you need to forgive. You know, I think of of a pitcher, you know, where uh, water is, is dumped into that pitcher. And that pitcher that is being filled of water is water that God gives from his pitcher, and he gives it to my pitcher that is smaller. His pitcher is bigger than my pitcher. And I'm supposed to take my pitcher and I'm supposed to dispense it. It's a grace, mercy, forgiveness pitcher. I'm supposed to spill that over my relationships. I'm supposed to dump that on my relationships. I need to have a mercy dispenser, a forgiveness dispenser. God's mercy dispenser is far bigger. In fact, it's not a pitcher. It's a river. Uh, It's a lake. It's an ocean. God's mercy is without end. It's huge. And he shares that with me for the purpose of sharing it with others, sharing it with others. I am to dispense, I am to give that kind of mercy out. The third principle I want us to think about is there is no limit to extending forgiveness to other people. We have been forgiven freely, we are to give, forgive freely. So the whole Peter seven times, is that enough? Jesus says no, 70 times seven, which basically meant without limit. Now listen, this is a hard teaching. I'm going to say this several times. This is a hard teaching. You say, Rob, I'm supposed to forgive so-and-so. You have no idea what they've done to me. I know, I don't. But these aren't my words. These are Jesus' words. These aren't my Beatitudes. They're Jesus's. These aren't my eight secrets to a happy life. They're Jesus's. And I'm trying to internalize them just as much as you are. And these are hard, hard teachings. Hard teaching. And we're going to come back to this in just a few moments. So, Uh, Let's hold on to that for just a moment. Let me just say this right here. Jesus' example must always be supreme. And he's the one on the cross who said what? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're done. Don't know what they're doing. How often has he forgiven me? Over and over and over and over again. How about you? Over and over and over and over again if you ask him. 
the egregious nature of our sin is something that we need to think about for a moment. Here's what Isaiah says, chapter 59, verse 2. But your iniquities, my iniquities, have separated me from my God. My sin have caused him to hide his face from me so that he won't even hear my prayers. My sin is destructive. It creates a chasm between me and God that is unbridgeable except by Christ. Except by Christ. There is no limit to extending forgiveness, 70 times 7. The fourth thing that I want us to think about is we are like Christ when we forgive other people. I found it interesting that in Luke chapter 6, verse 36, there's just a little, little verse that becomes after a passage on judging others, uh, actually after a passage that teaches on loving your enemies and right before a passage that talks about judging others. Right in the middle of showing mercy to one group of people and mercy to another group of people, Jesus slips this little sliver of truth in here. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Be merciful. Be loving. Be forgiving. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as Christ and God forgave you. In the same Sermon on the Mount, where we read the Beatitudes, the first beginning of, of chapter 5, we get into chapter 6 and we see teaching on, on praying and the greatest prayer ever prayed, the Lord's Prayer, is there. And it's in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says this, you need to pray and forgive us, Father, our debts as we even forgive our debtors. Forgive us as we forgive others. Forgive us as we forgive, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our debts, as we forgive those who trespass, offend, hurt us. Verse 14 and 15 goes on to say, and these are the hard, hard teachings of Jesus. He says this, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, their father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive them, then the father will not forgive you. So when I choose to hold on to a grudge and resentment and bitterness, this is hard, this is hard, but when I choose that, I am putting myself in a dungeon. I am choosing a dungeon over forgiveness. And Jesus says, don't. Don't do that. Number five, forgiveness and mercy are not natural tendencies. We are sinners. We are carnal. We're self-centered. We're born into sin. The only way I'm going to be able to forgive other people is by the mercy of Christ flowing in me and flowing out through me. I mean, there are some offenses that are easier to forgive, but I'm talking about the big ones. That's why verses like 2 Corinthians 5.17 resonates with me so much. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. When I accept Christ into my life, there's a transformation process that begins in my life where I begin to become more and more and more like Jesus Christ and the love of Christ and the mercy of Christ and the forgiveness of Christ becomes a possibility because Jesus Christ is in me producing a new life in me where I can live out the very things he's called me to live out. There's no way we can understand the Beatitudes without first understanding the culture in which Jesus lived, especially this one on mercy. I mean, the Jews had this very hard, starchy, external facade. Their religion was external-based. And the Romans, merciful, <laughs> they ruined with an iron fist, brute force, brute power. Not mercy was their methodology. 
Jesus' teaching then was radical. When he said, blessed are the merciful, the Jews didn't get it. And they were so impacted by the culture the Romans had uh, developed that they were just shocked. Here's what William Barclay says in his commentary on Matthew about uh, Roman rule. He says, Palestine was occupied by Rome. A Roman father, and this is just ugly, ugly here. A Roman father had patria potestas, which mean absolute father rule. The Roman father, when his baby was born, if he wanted the baby to live, he would go thumbs up. If he didn't want the baby, he'd go thumbs down. And in that culture, I shared this a few weeks ago, or actually a few months ago in a message, boy babies were more important than girl babies. And so a servant would take the thumbs down child and would go drown that child. It's just unsettling in every way, shape, or form. If there was a servant that was not doing his job, a, a Roman male could order that servant executed without a trial. No mercy in Rome. So when Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, people said, what? And you know, I don't know that our culture is a whole lot different than that culture in some ways. In some ways it is, but in some ways, not really. We are to become like Christ. We are to ask Christ to change us from the inside out because it's not natural, but Jesus is changing us so that we can be like him. Are there any exceptions? Let's, let's talk about the hard things for just a moment. I've been a pastor for a long, long time, and I have sat in homes and my office and other places with people that have been trying to work their way through um, rape, uh, molestation, other forms of abuses, murder. Uh, I mean, just all sorts of the worst kind of things you could imagine. And we've cried together and we've hugged each other and, and we've tried to just figure out what's the path forward? What's the path forward? You know, as you sit with families, the first thing you don't talk about is forgiveness. That's about as far from anybody's mind. You know, revenge, now that. You know, vengeance, now those are some things that are very much on the tip of our tongue. So how do people work through those things over time? And some do and some don't. And how does that happen? And I'll just say right now, it's hard. It's really hard. I mean, it feels impossible. And I think it's important to say it very, very clearly. We need God's help. I mean, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. This is after they beat him into an inch of his life, whipped him, scourged him. Made him carry a heavy cross and then put nails in his hands and feet and a spear in his side and a crown of thorns on his head. And he prayed, Father, forgive them. I mean, that's Jesus, but that's not me. How in the world did Jesus do that? I mean, that's otherworldly. It's unfathomable. Only Jesus could do it. That's the key. Only Jesus can do it. And I pray, Jesus, live in me. And Jesus, live through me. 
And may everything I say and do honor you. May I live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and lead like Jesus. Are there any exceptions? That's hard. I don't see any in the Bible, but I still say it's hard. See, unforgiveness is really a reality in situations like that. But one thing I will say to myself, while forgiveness may be hard or impossible, unforgiveness is a prison. Of that, we cannot deny. So we have to figure out, God, how do I work through this situation so this painful offense doesn't destroy me the rest of my life? How do I work through it? And I'm talking to people here today. You may have just heard that your spouse was unfaithful to you. You may have just heard of a business partner that destroyed your business and now your livelihood has gone out the window or your retirement has gone out the window. You may have just heard some things or maybe you've been dealing with some things for quite some time and it is just hard. And I just want to validate that. Forgiveness is hard. But unforgiveness is a dungeon. And so we have to wrestle with it. We need to ask God to help us. You see, asking God to help us forgive doesn't mean we turn on and off a switch of trust. Say, hey, well, I forgive that person, so everything they did is excusable. It wasn't that big a deal. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is asking God to give us mercy for another person and to no longer hold that against him, to give it to God. Let go and let God. Give it to God and say, I'm moving forward with God. I'm turning this over to God. It's not minimizing it. It's not saying it didn't happen. Someone once said, I'm not upset you lied to me. I'm upset that from now on I can't believe you. I mean, there comes a point where trust is gone and we must build boundaries. But to live with unforgiveness and resentment and bitterness will eat us alive. And that leads me to the final, final point here. And I want to walk through this as basically review of everything we've talked about. How do I forgive someone who has hurt me? Number one, consider Christ's example and ask Christ to help you. It is our aim to live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and lead people to Jesus. Secondly, ask God to help you forgive freely, to be freed from unforgiveness. Resentment and bitterness will eat you alive, will eat me alive. The third thing that we've been talking about is I need to admit and acknowledge my pain, hurt, anger, and feelings. Your pain is real. Turn to Jesus who understands and comforts. That offense was wrong. What those people did was wrong. Your hurt is real. You can't undo it. How are we going to move forward? You need God's help. Ask Jesus. Number four, realize that forgiveness is not excusing, but recusing. What do I mean by that? I haven't read this anywhere, but as I was just thinking about it, you know, that word recuse is kind of a, a legal term. Oftentimes you'll hear a judge say, well, I'm recusing myself from the case because of this relationship or that relationship. And as I was just thinking this through and thinking through some of the hard, hard things people have walked through and I've walked through and I've walked with people through, 
when we forgive people, we're not excusing what they've done, but we're recusing ourselves from meeting to try to settle the score. We're recusing ourselves from retribution. We're recusing ourselves from, from vengeance. And we're focusing on the scripture that says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. And we're trusting in the fact that God knows and God will balance the books and God will take care of it. But I need to get moving on. I gotta get moving on with my life and I need to find wholeness and healing through Jesus Christ. And I'm not gonna live here for the rest of my life. I'm not gonna spend the rest of my life trying to get vengeance against that person or that situation. I'm just not. Because I know it's a dungeon. And I have a choice. I either find my way to forgiveness with the help of Christ or I don't. Leave judgments, vengeance, retribution, score settling to the Lord. Number five, pray for a pure and free heart. I love David's prayer. Create me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. God, my heart is stained with feelings of anger and vengeance and retribution. And if the truth be known, my carnal nature wants to take it out and strangle that person. Literally. But that is not the Jesus way, and that is not what I want my life to be about. So God, I need your help. Start at the heart of the matter, which is the matter of my heart, and give me a new heart. Give me a new heart about this situation, about any situation. And then I need to choose to forgive and move forward. As hard as it is, I need to get up and go on, rise up and move on, step up and climb on. There's got to be some forward motion. Lord, help me move forward. Lord, help me move forward. I don't excuse it, but I recuse myself from it. Help me move forward. I don't appreciate it, but God, help me move forward. It hurt deeply. God, help me move forward. God, it just ruined my life. And so many, help me move forward. Jesus, what that person did was so, so painful. But Lord, you experienced quite a bit of pain yourself. And you move forward. Help me move forward. Help me move forward. And finally, the seventh thought that I have for us here today is I need to focus on what I can control and discipline my mind. I need to focus on what I can control. Philippians 4 says, think on these things, whatever is pure, admirable, good, righteous. Think on these things. Don't think on these things, anger, hatred, retribution, vengeance. I got I to gotta focus my mind on the things of Christ and the direction Christ wants to take me and not get sucked over into the area where I am most natural to live. God, help me move that way with you. So as we close, I just want to ask you, are you struggling in this area of relationship and forgiveness? And if the answer is yes, you're among many, many, many others. Relational pain, fractured families, fa fractured friendships. Are you experiencing kind of clogged, clogged arteries of forgiveness? And by that, we ask Christ for a pure heart and from that heart flows forgiveness. But a lot of times, hurt and anger and angst blocks that up and clogs it up. What, what, what's clogging that up? Give that to the Lord. You know, clogged arteries are not just a physical reality. They're also a spiritual reality. 
Lord, help forgiveness to flow. May I forgive freely. Not because I'm excusing it. Not because I'm minimizing it. It's because I want to move forward with you and trust you to take care of whatever that is. At the right time, there comes a point where I want to move on. Maybe I need to see that justice is served. Maybe I need to walk through some things to make sure whatever was you know, wrong was made right. But, but at some point, at some point, I must move forward. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for every marriage here today. I know, Lord, that there are marriages that need forgiveness to flow, that there's some blockage, some clogged arteries in some marriages. May forgiveness flow. Today, this week, Lord, may you heal marriages and families, moms and dads and kids, relationships that are hurting. God, I pray that you will restore those relationships. Fractured families, broken homes. God, only you can do this miraculous work. None of us are miracle workers. We need you to intervene. Lord, some are dealing with some of the hard stuff we talked about. Either those we mentioned specifically or something else that fits into that category. Man, this is just so brutally hard. Help each and every one, Lord. Help each and every one. Forgiveness is really, really challenging most of the time. But unforgiveness is a dungeon. We don't want the dungeon. Help us find our way forward in Christ. Friends, today as we pray for one final thing, I want to encourage you, if you haven't committed your life to Christ, would you do so today? Just say, Christ, come into my life. Give me the strength I need to be the person I need to be. Forgive me of my sins. I want to be a follower of Jesus. And if you pray that, let me know about it. Either online, fill out that connection card right there on the app, or if you're here in person, there's a physical card in front of you. Just say, hey, today I prayed the prayer. I committed my life to Christ. We're going to pray in just a minute. For those of us that have committed our life to Christ, where does God want us to grow? As we think of this fifth beatitude, the fifth secret to happy life, obviously forgiveness, mercy. But maybe there's something else where God is speaking to your heart. Maybe you came in with some personal needs here today. Commit those to the Lord as well. Our prayer team is going to come forward in just a couple minutes. And at the close of this service, we want to pray for you. We believe in prayer. We believe in a powerful God to meet us at our point of need. So, Lord, I pray your blessing on everybody here today. May we go from this place with a renewed passion to live the Jesus life, especially in this hard area of forgiving others. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Our prayer team's going to come forward, and we'd love to pray with you. We're going to sing a final song, and then we're going to be dismissed in just a couple minutes. God bless you, everybody.